Let me start by saying this. Today is the day that the Lord has made, and it's a good day. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen and amen. Here's the question I want to start with here today. What now? What happens next? Is that a hard question for us to think about? Because I think, you know, in our world of YouTube shorts, 30-second clips, and live feeds, we don't often think about what happens next. You know, for nine, nine months, give or take, a, a woman's pregnant. Child grows inside of her. Lots of anticipation, baby showers, picking out a name, doctor visits. And the day the child arrives... Rejoicing and excitement. Grandparents come to visit. But is that the end? Is that the end of the story? Is there any going back from that point? No, of course not. Everything is changed. That's just the beginning. What happens the day after a child is born? Do we think about what's next? Do we think about what now? See, Jesus Christ came into this world and for 30 some odd years, every day of his life, he walked closer and closer to the cross. Yes, during that time, he talked about God's love and he shared the truth of God's word and and he ushered in the kingdom of God. But every day brought him closer to his sacrifice on the cross. And that day came and they nailed him up on a cross and Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, killed in our place for our sins, taking the wrath of God for our sins that should have been poured out on us. God poured that out on him, and it killed him. But was that the end? No, not even close. That was just the beginning. Three days later, Jesus walked out of the tomb that they laid his dead body in. That was Easter, and we celebrated that last week. But let me ask you, what happened next? What, what was the next day like? Was there, was there any going back to normal? When the Son of God comes to this earth, dies on the cross, and is risen again, is there any going back to what it was like before? No. What follows that? You know, last week we, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which was the defining moment in all of human history. In that moment, Jesus separated himself, not just from every religious leader who ever lived. Jesus actually rose above them all. When the Son of God rises from the dead, and when we place, him, when, and when we place our faith in him, what happens the next day? Is there any going back to normal? When you come to believe that the Son of God rose from the dead, can last week can, can your last week look anything like your next week? No. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to answer the question, what now? As we look at life in light of the resurrection. And to do that, we're going to look at what was recorded, what now? We're going to look at what was recorded right after the resurrection. We're going to head to Acts chapter 1 this morning. As we look at the fact that Jesus is alive. We're going to look at the first five verses. And for the next number of weeks... We're going to look at what life was like right after the resurrection of Jesus. Luke is the author of Acts, the same Luke that wrote Luke. And in a sense, he shows us the aftermath of the resurrection. What did Jesus' followers do? And listen to me, what are we supposed to do? 
So, would you hear the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 1. We're going to read just the first five, five verses here this morning. Acts chapter 1, hear the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, and we're going to continue. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we live in the light of the resurrection, help us to live in the light of the resurrection. That by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you give us the mind to understand and the heart to believe and the will to act upon your good plan for us now that your Son and our Savior has accomplished what he said he was going to do. And it's in his name, in Jesus' name, we pray these things. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. So Jesus has lived. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen again. And so, now what? Well, I think these first five verses give us two things that we need to talk about here this morning. Jesus is alive. What now? The gospel goes into the world and the Spirit comes to the church. So let's look at each of these. Let's go verse by verse. First thing, the gospel goes to the world. Luke starts off Acts by saying, in the first book, O Theophilus. So right off the bat, Luke tells us that this book, the book of Acts, is the sequel to his first book, which is the gospel according to St. Luke. Luke wrote Luke, and he also wrote Acts. It's part one, part two. And both Luke and Acts were written to, the, to Theophilus, to Theophilus. All right, I got a question for, for you guys in here. Who has ever had the pleasure of getting to name a child? Okay. Who's ever had the pleasure of fighting with your spouse about what to name your child? <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you, um, especially for you younger, newer parents, uh, does the meaning of the name have any bearing on, on why you chose that name, or is it just how cool it sounds? How cool it sounds? Okay. <laughs> well, so let's talk about Theophilus and his name for a moment. The name Theophilus is the combination of Theo and Philo, which means God friend, or you could say friend of God. Now, because of that, some people would argue that Theophilus is not the name of a person, but it's simply a term used for anyone seeking to know more about Jesus Christ. I personally don't believe that. I think it's pretty readily apparent that Theophilus was a person. The writers of the New Testament are always pretty clear on whether they're writing to a, a person or a group of people. So the argument that Theophilus is not a person, I, I just don't buy it. I think it's very uncompelling. But Luke writes to him, and he says, In the first book, referring to Luke, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's what the entire book of Luke is about. It's about Jesus. And he writes about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. 
all that he began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, meaning his, his ascension back to heaven, after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So again, Luke records the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ. But now in the book of Acts, which we are reading, he picks up from that. But notice here, he talks about Jesus ascending after Jesus had given, it's a C word here, say it with me, commands. So what are these commands that Jesus had given? Well, to, do, to, to find that out, we just simply go back to the first book. We go back to Luke. I'll, I'll, I'll read it for you. Luke 24, verses 44 to 49. Um, just side note, do you mind if we spend a little bit of time in the Bible here today, kind of going all over? Because I, uh, I think it's probably better for you if you heard the good news of Jesus rather than the good advice of some pastor. Does that sound okay to you? Okay. So Luke 24, 44 to 49. Then he, meaning Jesus, then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witness of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, meaning the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Okay, so this, this command elsewhere is called the Great Commission, as it's often called. And here it is. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then here's the command. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This is the command. It's the gospel, that the gospel needs to go forth to the entire world, spread everywhere to all the nations. Christ's work was done, but the disciples' work, our work, is just beginning. And this work is supposed to be a worldwide initiative to all nations. And this was the message through the Holy Spirit. It was given from the Father, by the Son, through the Spirit to us. This is God's command for us to bring the gospel to the whole world. So when we talk about what now, now that Jesus has risen from the dead, what now? Well, the what now is that we fulfill his command, that we bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Christians, Christians in the house, and if you're not a Christian, praise God, I'm so thankful that you're here. But for, for those Christians in the house, let me ask you, how are you fulfilling this command? If Jesus is your Lord, how are you doing what your Lord has commanded you, us, to do? I'll be honest with you. I believe it is the responsibility of every confessing Christian to A, either go to the ends of the earth themselves sharing this message, or B, support the work of global missions. And part of the way that we do that is when we tithe because a portion of our church budget goes to support the work of ministry across the globe. Jesus says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. This is Jesus' gospel, not our gospel. In his name to all nations. And then looky here, beginning from Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem. They were to start where they were. They were to start where they were. 
So what that means for us is that our support and our work towards global missions starts where we are. For us, this means Middleville, Caledonia, Hastings, Wayland, West Michigan. Do we want to reach the world? Yes. Yes, we do. But we reach the world by going through our community. So we first reach out to our own communities. That's our beginning. So let's just take a quick breather here for a moment. I want you to ask yourself, Christian, do you realize you are to live life on mission? Do you realize that that's what it means to be a Christian, that we live a missional life? Because I think some of us have fallen into the trap that we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get our free ticket to heaven, and then we just continue to live life. That's not how it works, my friends. To embrace what Christ has done is to now be a part of what Christ has done, even to the ends of the earth. Jesus gathers his disciples after he rose from the dead and he gives them a call to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because hear me, what Jesus started was not meant to be just for a couple years. It wasn't meant to be just for a season. This was meant to be for everyone, everywhere, for all time. You are either all in or you misunderstand what you're a part of. You're either all in or you misunderstand what's going on here. The Son of God rose from the dead. Do you think there's any going back to normal after that? Not even remotely close. goes on to say that Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and, spending, um, and speaking about the kingdom of God. So when we talk about what happened after the resurrection, the Sunday school answer is, For 40 days, Jesus proved that he was alive. He continued to train his disciples, and he prepared them for a worldwide ministry. Did anyone see that video that was posted um, recently? I think it went like quasi-viral of that plane ride when when an impromptu worship service broke out on that plane ride. Anybody anybody see that from a couple weeks ago? Um, Let's watch a clip from that. So this has sparked a lot of debate, actually. And uh, I did something that I normally don't do and I hate to do, uh, but I put on the hazmat suit and I waded into the waters of the cesspool of social media comments (laughs) to see what people were saying about this. And let me just read you some of the comments from social media. Um, One person said, this is mortifying. Another person said, if this was the worst part of those passengers' day, they should be thankful. All the way to another person saying, this is amazing. This has sparked a lot of debate among Christians as to whether or not they should have done that. Was that helpful or hurtful to the message? One atheist said this, if Christians can see a God-shaped hole in people's hearts, how come they can't see the face of disgust from the other passengers? And then he pleaded, Christians, honestly, why would you do this? Who are you helping? 
Now, you can discuss this further in your community groups, uh, but let me just say this. I know that there are many people who would rather keep Christianity as simply and solely a personal thing. It's more comfortable and certainly more socially acceptable for it to be like that. But I'm here to tell you, it's not just personal. This is worldwide. For all time, for all people. And listen to me, I'm not saying we shove it in people's faces, but don't use that as an excuse to never share the message. For those Christians, um, and to be honest with you, I'm liable to say this. For those Christians who would say what those kids did on that plane was rude and hurtful to the Christian cause, let me ask you, when was the last time you shared the message of Jesus? If how they did it was wrong, then you show us how it's done. Because I am really tired of Christians critiquing the way that other people do evangelism to share the message when they themselves are too scared to open their mouth and share the gospel. Listen to me. I would rather you go out there and do it wrong and learn from your mistakes than never do it. Christians, the time is growing short. You have a message that's not just meant for your little personal quiet time. It's meant for you to go out there and share and proclaim to the world. I'm not here to keep you comfortable. I'm here to send you out and commission you to continue to do what Christ has been doing through his church, sending us out to share the message. Again, I'm liable to think, you know what, maybe probably not the most helpful way. I hate plane rides. I'm not sure that would have made it any better. I don't know. I wasn't in that situation. But I am standing back and looking at it like a lot of us are and considering, was that the best way? If it wasn't, then show us how it's done. That's all I'm saying. Was it harmful or hurtful to the Christian cause? You can discuss that later in your family or in your community groups. But I will say that we are meant to share the message of Jesus because it was Jesus who said that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. When Jesus rose from the dead, the first answer to what now is this? The gospel goes to the world. And the second way is how the first is accomplished, that the Spirit comes to the church. The Spirit comes to the church. Acts 1-3, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus did not just spiritually rise from the dead. He physically rose from the dead. Now, let's just talk about this historically for a moment here. You've got a lowly Jewish carpenter of not any sort of, like, like fame. He was born out in, the, in a barn, shares this message, is killed as a common criminal. Why? So immediately after his death, why did this movement explode? What caused those early believers who walked with him after he himself was killed, what caused all of them to be willing to give their lives to persecution and martyrdom for this? What happened? What was the catalyst that propelled this movement when Jesus himself was killed? 
It was the resurrection. Historically speaking, Jesus rising from the dead probably would have convinced these people to give their life to this message. It was the resurrection. Even skeptical historians don't deny that something had to have happened. Those early believers, they witnessed something. Whether mass hallucination or a true encounter, something caused this movement to not just continue, but to explode all over the known world. And it was because for 40 days after his death, he proved that he rose from the dead. Now listen, I have, I've known people and, and I myself have had some deeply profound, real spiritual encounters. Whether angelic or demonic or whatever, I've known people, and myself included, who have had true, genuine spiritual encounters. And yeah, it does kind of give you a new perspective on life, but in a sense, you kind of go on with life. But not for those who encountered Jesus. Because Jesus' message was not just about a person's personal life or good moral teachings. This was the message of someone who rose from the dead speaking about the kingdom of God, appearing for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, I remember uh, years back when I was in seminary, uh, during one of the class, a professor asked all of us students, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? That's a hard question to answer. Until you ask a toddler. My, my oldest daughter was about, five, she's in high school now, but she was about five at the time. And I remember getting home from after, after that class and I said, Kennedy, what is the kingdom of God? And her answer, where God is king. And I'm like, why in the world am I even going to seminary? I should just ask my daughter. <laughs> In a general sense, yes, she's right. But in a, but in a particular sense, in a, in a nuanced sense, the kingdom of God is the ushering in of the rule and reign of Jesus' kingdom over all of God's creation. It's the spiritual reckoning of all that is God's as Jesus brings about the redemption of all things. It's the change of the world. Following Jesus isn't just something that's meant to be kept in our hearts. It's meant to propel us out into the world as his ambassadors, as we represent the kingdom of God to the world. And here is how we do this. And while staying with them, while Jesus staying with the disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is saying, in order for you to do what I'm calling you to do, you're going to need the Holy Spirit, so wait for him to come. Because part of faith is waiting. So today we're looking at how Jesus is alive, and in a couple weeks we're going to look at what happens when the Holy Spirit arrives. Because it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us, Christians, and the church to do the work of God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the third member of the Trinity the Holy Spirit bears his fruit in our lives. You know those, love, joy, peace, patience. The Holy Spirit is the one who chooses and dispenses and empowers the spiritual gift to believers. He's the one who inspired the writing of the word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who comforts believers 
while we live in this broken world. The Holy Spirit is the one who indwells within us and the church, empowering us to live both faithful and, listen here, missional lives. Yes, comfort's a great thing that the Spirit gives us, but he also gives us power to proclaim the message. See, if the resurrection is the promise kept, then the Holy Spirit is the promise delivered. These first couple verses of Acts, they show us the answer to the question of what now for the disciples after the resurrection. With Jesus being alive, what now? Well, the gospel is to go to the world and the Spirit comes to the church. That's, that's what we see immediately for the disciples and for the early church after the resurrection. But what about us now? What about us for in this room, in the chapel, online? What about for us here now in 2022? Well, as we close up, I want to give you two things to consider. For, for what now for us? I want you to consider who is your Theophilus and what is your testimony? That's where I'm going to have a start for this sermon series, asking those two questions. Who is your Theophilus and what is your testimony? Who is your Theophilus? Who is the one that you are pouring into? Who is the one that you are walking alongside, sharing the gospel with and building them up in the faith? Verse 1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke wrote two books for one person and it changed the world. Luke spent so much time and energy writing the entire book of Luke and then the entire book of Acts for this one guy, Theophilus. And his efforts to this one person went on to change billions. So let me ask you, who is your Theophilus? Who is the one person you are pouring into? After first service, someone asked me, can my child be my Theophilus? And my answer to them, they better be. This is the second book that Luke wrote. I want to I read to you the introduction to the book of Luke as he addresses Theophilus. Luke 1, 3, and 4. It seemed good to me to write in an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Two books written for one person. Who is your Theophilus? So let me put it like this. Let me put it another way. If, if Christian living means that we live in the light of the resurrection, then who are you sharing that light with? In a dark world, who are you casting light on this dark world to expose the brokenness and the hypocrisy of the world? Who are you sharing the light with? Church, for the past couple months, we asked you, we asked you to consider who is your one and many of you, you wrote that name, the name of that person on boards. We wanted you to invite them to Easter. Church, I can say a lot of you, I'd say almost all of you, followed through on this. Because did you know that on Easter, we had almost double our average attendance show up for Easter? That shows me that every person invited one person and they showed up. I think this is amazing. But your one wasn't meant to be just an Easter initiative. They are to be your Theophilus. Who are you pouring into? Second, what is your testimony? Christians in the house, your testimony is one of the most critical ways you share the good news of Jesus. Some of us are called to, to debate with apologetics and really speak to a person's mind, but when you share your story, with another person, that speaks to their heart. 
And I want every single person who calls Peace Church their home to have their testimony ready at all times on the tip of their tongue. And so let me give you a couple questions to help you think about your testimony. These three questions. If you could have the, the, these three questions ready to go, I think you're ready to share your testimony. How did you come to faith in Christ? What do you believe about the risen Christ? How does faith impact you eternally and daily? Now, I'm not saying you, you, you pull out a piece of paper and you answer these one by one, but the answer to these all packaged together, I think, will give you a great start to, to figuring out your testimony. How did you come to faith in Christ? That's just a little bit of your backstory. How did you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? What do you believe about the, the risen Christ? That's where you can actually share parts of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. And then when Jesus died, he took your sins, but we got his righteousness, and now we can live forever in him. But then you talk about how faith impacts you every day as you walk towards eternity. How does faith impact you eternally and daily? Well, eternally... I'll tell you what, I know where I'm going when this story ends here. And every day, I live in the light of that hope that no matter how much brokenness I see in this world, I know that my eternal hope cannot be taken away. So I live in this living hope day by day. Christians in the house, and especially if you are a, a, a Peace Church family member, please, I want you to work on this and have this ready to go and then start sharing it. You could reach people I could never reach because of your story. So please, craft your story and share your story. Ensure your testimony is ready to go by answering these three questions. This is a great conversation for the ride home, a great conversation for your community groups. A great question for you to answer and then share. Church, we said this last week on Easter, but I'm going to say something that you know was not just for Easter. So here's what I want you to do. Sit up straight. You are sons and daughters of the King who is the Most High. We sit upright and we declare, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amateurs. <laughs> Amateurs, I call you. Show me how it's done. He is risen. Amen, he's risen indeed. He rose from the dead, conquering Satan, sin, and death. And we live in the light of that resurrection. So sit up, speak up, and share your testimony. Church, let's stand and worship together.